Well, hey everyone, good morning and welcome to Resurrection City Church. Uh, my name is Joel and I am one of the pastors here at Red City. And uh, I want to let you know, just uh, I'm really thankful to have you joining us this Sunday morning. We're going to spend some time here in just a second, kind of spending, kind of looking at God's Word, uh, talking about what it means for our lives, uh, kicking off a brand new uh, series. And I just some. I'm always so grateful and thankful to have people join us on Sunday morning, um, whether you know this is like a regular rhythm for you or you're new. If you're a new person, you're just visiting, you're checking us out, you're, you're here visiting with someone else, uh, I just want to let you know we're very blessed by your presence. We're very happy to have you here with us this morning. Um, as you can see on the screen here as well, just a real quick note, um, we are starting to put our slides online so you can follow along uh, with the message each Sunday morning. Uh, you can either go to redcitychurch.org slash slides or you can scan the QR code. And this week they're actually up there. I know last week I, I directed people to go check it out and then I realized afterwards I forgot to actually upload them to the Google Drive, uh, which was kind of made me feel very stupid on Sunday after church after I figured that out. But I double checked it today. They are up there. So you can go uh, do those. Um, let me pray for us, and then we're going to hop into our, our message this morning. Lord God, thank you that um, as we gather together on the Sunday morning, what's a very ordinary Sunday, God, just like many other Sundays, um, you make it special by filling it with your presence. Um, and we just, I pray that we wouldn't take that for granted this morning as we spend time uh, in your word, as we spend time worshiping uh, you, as we spend time to gather together, Lord, both before and after uh, our time in this room, God, just, we thank you that you, uh, you, the God of the universe, come to be with us, God, um, every Sunday morning in this very ordinary way. Lord, and I pray that you would, you would do that with us this morning as well as we study your word and we try to grow and to learn and to become more like you and uh, your son, Jesus, God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I would like you to, to start out here to think about a time maybe recently where you were, you felt very inspired by somebody, like something they said to encourage you, or you got a chance to do that. Um, and just think about how good it feels to do that. It's really a very fun, uh, fun thing to do. I know recently I was hanging out with a pastor friend at a, at a conference, and we were just kind of chatting about some challenges that he has going on in his church, and I got the opportunity to encourage him, and it just felt I remember feeling really good afterwards. It was really, really cool to, to just get to do that. Um, and, and it kind of made me think about how fun it is to inspire or encourage people. Uh, I think one of the places where we often get inspired or encouraged is at graduation ceremonies, like in those commencement speeches. And a lot of times bigger universities will bring in uh, some famous person a lot of times to kind of, you know, get the students excited and, and talk kind of about like some encouraging aspects of them graduating and going on. And, and one I came across recently was from a guy named Pat Oswalt. He's a comedian. He's actually the guy that did, I don't know if you remember this, uh, he did that hilarious like 10 minute Parks and Rec. It was like a filibuster scene and he kind of came up with the plot of an Avengers Star Wars movie crossover that was kind of all over social media. It's that guy if, if you've never heard of him. And, you know, he kind of gave, gives a speech, and, a, and I feel like it's pretty typical of how we tend to encourage or inspire people. And he, he said this to the students he was talking to. This is at William and Mary, um, and I think it was this last year, 2023. You do not have a choice but to be anything but extraordinary. Those are the times we're living in right now, right? He kind of tells people to inspire or encourage them as they graduate and head into 
the workforce. Um, we need you. You have to be extraordinary. If you're not, the world is going gonna, is gonna to fall apart. Um, there's so many challenges in the world that we, we just need you to go out and be extraordinary, which feels like a lot of pressure to put on a bunch of 22-year-old kids, I think. Um, you know, but it also kind of maybe strokes their egos, too, and that's maybe why we hear that kind of stuff get said. Um, and that kind of encouragement, I think, or a way to inspire people is very common today in all kinds of different ways, to tell them to stand out, to ha- you know, have the best life experiences, you know, live an epic life, don't waste it because it's, you know, life is short, stuff like that, right? It's very common to inspire ourselves that way. And, and Lord knows Christians love to find Bible verses to attach to that kind of rhetoric, right? We're very, we love to, love to figure out ways we can kind of join in the fun and inspire each other that way. So if you were looking for a Bible verse like that, like, you know, it might, at first glance, you might look at the book of First Thessalonians and think that maybe this would be a good place to find something like that. It's a, it's a letter written back around 50 uh, AD by a pastor named Paul. He's writing a letter to this community of disciples that he'd helped to start and, and an ancient city called Thessalonians. Thessalonica. And he kind of, the letter deals with all kinds of stuff. He speaks to some different anxieties that the people had. Um, and towards the end of the letter, he writes to encourage or inspire them with some guidance on what to do next. So we see this in 1 Thessalonians 4.1. He says, finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God as we have taught you. You live this way already, and we encourage you to do so even more. Um, and, you know, after a couple comments on, you know, kind of sexual purity and love, he kind of tells them about what kind of life to pursue, right? He's going to inspire and encourage them uh, to, you know, to be this kind of person, to go out and live this kind of life in a way that pleases God. Now, we would read this, and I think we would probably expect that he would give them some sort of guidance or encouragement like we just looked at with that Patton Oswalt quote, right? That God would inspire them to be extraordinary in some way. And here's what he says in verse 11. Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. Okay, that's it. That's all he says to them. Now, inspiring someone to live a quiet life, to not really look for attention, but just do the things that God puts in your path as well as you can, don't be afraid to work hard, is not the most inspiring or encouraging thing we could think of. Like, it's, it's, Paul would probably not get invited to give any commencement speeches, right? Um, because, to be honest, when we read something like this, it feels kind of dull to us. It feels kind of ordinary compa- compared to some of the other ways we might think that we should encourage or inspire people, right? This is the kind of life that someone lives after they've already got done living the exciting life. They're kind of extraordinaried out, Right? And, and now they, they're ready to settle in for some peace and quiet after they've done all the cool stuff already. Right? They've kind of earned that. Um, after you've done all the things, you've had all the experiences, you've, you've been super successful, you've completed the extraordinary life, then you live the quiet life. Then you mind your own business. Then you find something that you just really enjoy doing and you work hard at doing it. I know for me personally, when I used to read this Bible verse when I was younger, I hated it because it was so sort of anti the expectation that I had for myself because it made it sound like if I'm a Christian, the kind of life I should be living is to basically be ordinary and unnoticed because that's the kind of person that this tends to produce who takes this seriously, right? And I grew up wanting to be extraordinary and recognized for it by everyone around me, right? And I think most of us deep down do desire that even if it's not something we talk about a lot. Because the people who take this seriously are probably going to appear to not be that extraordinary, right? They'll appear to be kind of a face in the crowd, very, very average or ordinary, right? 
And it, asks, it makes us ask the question, is this what God has doomed us to, right? Maybe you read this and you're, like I used to be when I would read this, you feel a little bit offended by it, a little deflated, because that's not really the life that you ever expected to live. That's not the encouragement or inspiration you've received from other people in the past. And I think if that is your reaction, what's interesting about it is it reveals to us that we have this sort of deep-seated view that ordinary is bad. Like, ordinary is a bad thing. To just be an ordinary person is, is a bad thing that we should avoid. But I, what I want us to do is to look at this passage and this kind of idea and think about how Paul is welcoming us into something that's far more special and extraordinary and profound and grounded to what our lives are actually like than the demand to be extraordinary, okay? And we're actually going to be basing a whole series that's going to be going on for the next few months in this idea. We're calling it Ordinary Faith, and we're going to talk about what a faith that follows this exhortation from Paul looks like, what it looks like to, to follow Jesus, to be disciples, to have a flourishing faith in the middle of our ordinary lives, because those are the lives we actually have, right? Those are the lives that we actually live. Our lives are often not very extraordinary. Most of the stuff we do is very ordinary. Our lives are cluttered. They're chaotic, right? We, we are running from one thing to another, whether we're, we're parents, we're students, we're an accountant. Whatever it is that you do, this is the normal life you live, right? To put it in the language of our last series, we talked about no, how the, the words no grow go together, kind of paint a picture of what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. You'd like to know God. You'd like to abide in him. But the baby's crying again. We have, a, we have a four-month-old at home. Like, I've been realizing how hard it is to do the things I was talking about in that series when I have a baby at home who does not seem to respect my time, you know, wanting to go spend time abiding with God. Right? You'd, you'd like to grow, but you have a million emails you have to get to. And to be honest, it is stressing you out, right? It is making it really hard for you to grow in patience and kindness, right? That's the life that we actually live. And, and that's an ordinary and normal life that everybody lives. It's not bad, and it's actually possible to have a flourishing, we could even say extraordinary discipleship walk, I think, within that ordinary, right? Or whatever your ordinary looks like, it's possible to do that. Right? Now, the title of this series, Ordinary Faith, is supposed to be a kind of twist on the expectation that we're so often inspired with, what I was kind of talking about beforehand. Right? Christians are no different than you know, universities bringing someone in to try to inspire the students. Right? You can and you often maybe have heard of Christian books or sermon series that have, like, they're called extraordinary faith, crazy faith, amazing faith, boundless faith. These are all literally the titles of books. I Google them. Christian books, right? That's a very common way to talk about what faith looks like. And if you're honest, if you're reading a book like that, you're reading about how I'm supposed to be extraordinary, this is supposed to look so incredible, but you're reading it in your pajamas, you haven't, you haven't showered yet, you haven't brushed your teeth, and you, you know you've got to rush to shower, you've got to uh, you know, walk the dog, you've got a whole day ahead of you of adulting where you really don't know when you're going to find time to be extraordinary in it. It's kind of like, it makes you despise the ordinary parts of your life. Right? It makes you start to see them as hindrances to your faith, as something to maybe be rescued from, the ordinary stuff in life. Right? I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but in a lot of movies, that's kind of the plot, where these, you know, the, the movie starts out and the main character is living a very dull life, a very ordinary life, and they get rescued into this life of excitement. Right? I think of movies like Fight Club or The Matrix or even Star Wars, like the original Star Wars movie. That's kind of how it starts off with a boring farm kid named Luke who gets rescued into this world of excitement, this galactic rebellion. 
right? And it's kind of like a trick that advertisers play on us, right? There are ads for cruise ships or airlines or even states now, you see this, like, come visit this beautiful state, it's so amazing, that are about rescuing us from our boring life to have an extraordinary experience of some kind, right? And it makes us think that the normal lives we live, we need to be rescued from them because they're, they're boring, they're ordinary, and that's bad. But ordinary life is not something that we need to be rescued from. Tish Harrison Warren, she's an, uh, an author and a priest. She writes this in her book, The Liturgy of the, Liturgy of the Ordinary. We tend to want a Christian life with the dull bits cut out. Yet God made us to spend our days in rest, work, and play, taking care of our bodies, our families, our neighborhoods, our homes. What if all these boring parts matter to God? What if days passed in ways that feel small and insignificant to us are weighty with meaning and part of the abundant life that God has for us? The kind of spiritual life and disciplines needed to sustain the Christian life are quiet, repetitive, and ordinary. Right? And I think that last part is so important because she says the kind of spiritual disciplines that we need to have in our life are not extraordinary. They're actually very ordinary. They're repetitive. They're quiet. Those are the things we actually need to sustain a really robust Christian life. And th- so this series is premised on that idea premised on what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, that God isn't trying to rescue us from our ordinary lives, but he wants to meet us in our ordinariness, right? In the basic decisions we make every single day, in planning our weekly schedules out, in doing the normal things like getting groceries or voting, right? At work or at school or whatever it is that we do with the bulk of our time, right? As, as whatever it is that we're doing, those things matter to God, and those are actually opportunities for us to grow into deeper disciples of Jesus. Hey, because the truth is, as Dallas Willard puts it, God has yet to bless anyone except where they actually are. Okay? God has yet to bless anyone except where they actually are. And that includes the ordinary parts of our life. Right? We do not need to get to some magical place where we will receive God's blessing or earn it or woo him because we're so extraordinary. We've figured out how to make our lives seem so loud and attractive to God that he can't help but come and bless us. But instead, he wants to come to us where we're at and bless us. And this series and our community group materials that we're going to be going through um, throughout it are going to be all about what it looks like for us to do that. Okay? So for the rest of today... I want to just go through kind of four observations around 1 Thessalonians and and a few other scriptures that kind of ground the idea of why the ordinary is good and what it looks like from a base level, laying the foundation for the rest of the series for us to see God work in the ordinary, okay? And so I got four observations for us. The first one is that the need for a constantly ordinary life will crush you. The second is that God finds ordinary to be good. The third is that a desire for an extraordinary life will blind us from where God is already working. And then lastly, God speaks to us in ordinary through Jesus. All right, so let's hop into it here today. First one, observation one, the need for a constantly extraordinary life will crush you. Now, okay, it's important before we, you know, hop into the meat of this for me to start out by saying, on the one hand, let, let me be clear, pursuing excellence is a good thing. I'm not telling, I'm not, I don't think it's, you know, that we should not pursue excellence. Paul is not telling us in 1 Thessalonians 4 to be lazy, Right? He assumes uh, hard work, and as you study kind of the context of the rest of the passage, you see that that's part of the reason he brings up the inspiration that he gives him in the first place. Right? When we look at creation, right? the beautiful world that we live in, and we read Genesis 1 and 2, we find that God was shooting for excellence when he created the world, and he succeeded. 
And we are people who are made in his image to go out and also seek excellence in our creation. There's nothing wrong with pursuing the extraordinary or excellent or special when it's possible, right? And I think that's the the key, is that excellence is actually super rare, okay? I I put a lot of work into the messages that I, I do on Sunday mornings, right? And I put up the same amount of work into each one. It's not like I'm choosing to do more work for one or the other. And I know I'm not some special communicator, but every once in a while, I do, figure, I do feel like I come up with, like, that was a pretty good message. Like, that, that, was a, that was pretty good. I don't think I call it extraordinary or anything like that, but, like, that wasn't half bad. I think I can say that about myself sometimes. But to be honest with you, okay, that happens three or four times in a year, maybe, where I actually feel like, that was, I did pretty good there. It doesn't happen that much. Um, most of the time when I get up here and do this, like, I feel like that was pretty ordinary. Like, it I did, wasn't awful, but it wasn't, no one's going to put it on the list of greatest sermons preached ever either, okay? And I'm going to guess that whatever it is that you do, right, with the majority of your time, that's how it is for you too, right? You do pop out something that is pretty good every once in a while, maybe even extraordinary. But to be honest, most of the stuff you do is pretty routine or ordinary, Right? That's kind of just how life is. That's actually what makes extraordinary excellent. If it happened all the time, extraordinary would just become the new ordinary. Right? Even the most extraordinary people and things aren't excellent all the time. Right? Even the best restaurants have some duds on the menu. Right? The Beatles had songs that were forgettable. Right? By definition, ordinary or averageness is what is most often going to happen in our lives and in our world. Ordinary makes up the majority of our lives. And so it can sound great to inspire people to be extraordinary, but it can start to become a burden the more and more we expect that to happen. Right? The more and more we assume this should be our normal is extraordinariness, the more and more that starts to become a burden on us. It can haunt us. Right? Think about, let's go back to that commencement speech, all right? You must be extraordinary. So imagine some kid who was sitting in the audience there hearing this, got really excited about it, but then 20 years later, they look back on that and they look at their life and they start to be like, wow, this doesn't, I don't feel like I've been extraordinary in any way. Like, and then they start to think about their lives and everything in it and they think, have I actually been a failure this whole time? I didn't live up to this call to be extraordinary that I heard, right? Uh, think about how much a burden it can be when we hear things like, you're supposed to have an extraordinary faith. And you look at your life and you think about how, you know, the, the level of your faith a lot of times is not feel very extraordinary. And you start to feel judgment on yourself because of that, right? I know I do when I think about that. Or when I look, you know, when I read about extraordinary people out there, you know, when I get excited about it, there's also sometimes like a sadness that comes with it. Because I think, man, that's really cool that they're extraordinary, but I'm not. And I'm probably never going to be extraordinary, And I start to think there's something wrong with me because I don't know how to get to that place where I feel like I'm an extraordinary person, where people will write biographies about me, right? When I look at my skills, my talents, my actual life I live, and I think, man, a lot of times it's usually pretty ordinary. Like, sometimes that can start to feel like a burden on me, right? And you all have your own versions of what this looks like, right? Or maybe the burden, it's not just in who you are, but it's in the life you live, right? To think that we must always be experiencing extraordinary in everything we do, having the best vacations, the best experiences, the best food and drink, the the best kid, the best house, uh, the best friendships, right? And you look at your life and you think, man, this is not measuring up to that a lot of times. You start to uh, feel like you're a failure in some way, 
And that can start to, when we start to apply that to our lives and really be serious about it, it can actually cause people to get hurt, right? You sometimes hear about, like, maybe a husband who leaves their wife because they're unhappy, right? That they just have decided that this, this life I'm living with this, this person and, and the kids that I have, it's just too boring. It's just too ordinary, right? I'm not living the life that I thought I would be when I was in college or just starting out my, my, my career in some way, and I just think I was meant more for this, and I have to leave the ordinary behind. Well, what's happening there is someone is being hurt. Someone is being dis- something is being destroyed because this burden of extraordinary was placed on something that was never supposed to hold it, and it starts to hurt people. Now, contrary to all of this, God doesn't see ordinary as bad. He actually sees it as good, all right? And that's our second observation that I want to talk about here, okay? Paul's not going to tell the Thessalonians and us now, reading it, you know, a couple thousand years later, to live, make it your ambition to live a quiet life if he didn't think that could be pleasing to God. Because remember, that's how he starts the chapter out. Live in a way that pleases God. And then he tells them, live a quiet life. Live an ordinary life. It must mean that God finds ordinary to be good, Right? And if we want to find another example of this, another very interesting place that we can look at and see this is in the book of Job. Um, and this is an observation from a great book um, called Everyday God by, by Paula Gutter. So I've got to give her some credit on this. But it comes from Job 10, verses 8 to 10. Let me read it for us. Uh, this is Job. He, he's, he's speaking to God. Your hands uh, fashioned me and made me altogether, yet would you destroy me? Remember that you have made me as clay, yet would you turn me to dust again? Did you not pour me out like milk and curdle me like cheese? Right? Now, this is a passage in the book where Job, he's kind of the main human character in the book, he's going through immense suffering. He's kind of reflecting back his, his pain to God. That's what, that's what this is going on here in the book. And he reflects on how he only exists because God knit him together. God was very intentional to create him. Now, when we talk about life being formed, we use words like miracle, right? The miracle of life, the miracle of birth. Because for us as humans, it is a miracle. It's literally something humans can't create. We cannot create life. Despite our best efforts, it's one of the things that humans have not been able to figure out how to do. And so it's extraordinary because only God can do it. Right? It's, it's, we think of, uh, think of what Job is talking about here as totally extraordinary. But what stands out about how Job describes this of God is that it's very ordinary for him. Right? Making clay and, and making cheese. The cheese one seems like kind of an odd reference to us. But the point is that making cheese and making clay into like a, a bowl or a pot, that's what, that's what Job will be talking about here, for the people in Job's world, that was a super ordinary thing to do. There were lots of people who were potters, right? Uh, lots of people curdled their own cheese. And for Job to say that this is what God does is for him to say, for you, God, you know, what is extraordinary for us is actually very ordinary for you. Yet you go on and continue to do it over and over again, right? Job, me, you, the person sitting next to you, all of us have been poured out like milk and curdled into cheese, and now we are uh, breathing and, and eating real cheese because of what God has done, right? And so what this is, is it's an incredible statement about the value of ordinary because it says that God does what for him is ordinary all the time, right? He's a God who does ordinary as part of his daily life. And so because of that, we must find good in our own ordinary, whatever it looks like, because uh, that is being like God, right? And the truth is that the vast majority of what God does is 
ordinary and routine for him, just like the vast amount of what you do is ordinary and routine for you. So there is good in doing routine and ordinary because it actually makes us like God, right? Uh, And so if God finds ordinary to be good, then he must find our ordinary to be good too. All right, so observation number three here, all right? If God finds our ordinary to be good, then a desire for an extraordinary life on our part might blind us to where God is already working in the midst of our ordinary, right? Again, think about how much of your life is spent on ordinary activities. Sleeping. Do you know how much of your lifetime you're probably going to spend sleeping? A third of your life. That's a very ordinary thing to do. Everyone sleeps. Everybody sleeps. You do it with most of your time. Sorry, you're ordinary, okay? Eating. Do you know how much of your life you're going to spend eating probably? Four and a half years of your life is going to be spent eating. Going to the bathroom or showering or brushing your teeth, these basic things, Men spend a little more time with this stuff than women do, but about two and a half years you're going to spend on the toilet, okay? Women a little bit less, that's men, or two and a half years. You're going to be sitting at red lights for a very large portion of your life. The average American spends 42 hours in traffic a year. That's maybe not a, maybe that you're like, that's not a, that's not a way I want to spend my ordinary life. That's okay if you want to try to cut down on that. Things like doing the chores or taking out the trash, looking at emails, watching YouTube videos. Like, uh, my phone tells me I spend three hours a day on it, right? Now, a lot of that stuff is, you know, stuff maybe I could be finding more productive things to do, but a lot of it's also very ordinary, right? Texting, uh, checking my email, that kind of stuff, right? I don't have any stats on how much of life is spent curdling cheese, though I do imagine people who live in Wisconsin is probably a little higher than everywhere else, okay? But again, you're spending a huge amount of your day doing ordinary stuff, right? These ordinary things fill your day up to the brim. It's actually hard to find time to do anything else a lot of times than the things that we call, quote-unquote, ordinary. We actually wouldn't have much time to fit extraordinary into our day even if we wanted to. And so the reason that everyone does these things is not because we, you know, ordinary is like what we're trying to do. It's because they're necessary. It's necessary, right? The only people who don't have to do ordinary things, who can just kind of do whatever they want, at least, you know, if they could at least, is kids. (laughs) Uh, Adults have to do ordinary, routine, necessary things as part of just being a person. And so it has to be Good. And God knows that this is where our lives are actually spent, and it's, in fact, I think, where he's often waiting for us the most because of it, right? So we can read what Paul says about having an ambition to lead a quiet life. To me, nothing extraordinary is ever going to happen to us, but I actually think that's not really the point of what Paul's saying. Instead, I think what he's saying is that the extraordinary God is looking to meet you in extraordinary ways in the ordinary stuff that you're already doing. All right? And let me give you an example of this. It comes from 1 Kings 19. And it's a story about a guy, he's a prophet named Elijah, and he's seeking a, a word from God. At this part in his, li- point in his life, he's a broken, very disillusioned fugitive. He's hiding in the desert from this corrupt uh, regime, this king and queen who are trying to kill him. And he's, he's, he's like a lot of us would be. He's depressed, he's despairing. Um, and he's at the point of where he's like, he's ready to just be dead. Like he's just really honest with God, he tells him that. And so he's waiting for God to show up and kind of speak to him in the midst of this. And he gets up on a mountain, and while he's kind of waiting for God to show up, he's trying to figure out where God's at, he's kind of treated to like this National Geographic documentary about really cool extreme weather. All right, so let me read it to you. 1 Kings 19, 11 to 13. The Lord said, go out and stand at the mountain before the Lord. The Lord is passing by. 
a very strong wind tore through the mountains and broke apart the stones before the Lord. But the Lord wasn't in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord wasn't in the fire. After the fire, there was a sound, thin, quiet. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his coat. He went out, and he stood at the cave's entrance. A voice came to him and said, Why are you here, Elijah? And they go on to have some dialogue after that. that it's not really the point, so we won't get into it. Okay? But I want you to take notice of where the extraordinary God shows up to Elijah. Okay? We would expect him to show up in the very take-your-breath-away weather displays, but that's not where God shows up to him. He instead comes to him in the silence, the thin and quiet, this message in still softness around Elijah. Now, Elijah's like us. I'm sure he'd had many, many, many moments in his life of quiet, thin silence. It's actually very ordinary to sit in silence, right? But as a prophet, he could tell this is where God was at. We, too, have lots of moments of stillness and silence in an ordinary day, right? Uh, the ordinary silence of going to the grocery store, right? Driving to the store. If we turn our radio off, we're sitting in silence, right? Of doing the dishes, right? If we choose not to have any, any, earbud, any earbuds in, listening to anything, we will be in silence, right? In the shower, in the morning is a moment of silence for us. This is a very normal and ordinary part of our lives, okay? Maybe part of the reason that Paul says to make our ambition to be quiet and not worry about others and focus on our own ordinary moments in life is because he knows that's where God is going to meet us the most. As in these ordinary moments, things that we do on an everyday basis, maybe that's where God is trying to meet us the most. I think a lot of people are looking for God in mighty windstorms. Like that's where we think he's going to speak to us in some kind of extraordinary event and we don't find him there a lot of times and we start to get frustrated. We start to think he might not care about us or he doesn't even exist, right? Those thoughts start to cross our mind because we're looking for him in the types of events that Elijah was here, right? They're trying to go from spiritual high to spiritual high rather than just doing the ordinary work of sensing God in their many, many thin, small ordinary, quiet moments of life, right? And their faiths maybe wither and die even because they're looking for God in places where God has never said he's going to show up in. Now, it's understandable, okay? It's important to say this, that we will find God in extraordinary moments sometimes. Absolutely. I'm not saying that will never happen, right? Uh, God had showed up to people in the Old Testament in fire or storms like that, okay? So it's not that he never shows up in these extraordinary take-your-breath-away moments, right? And God will continue to meet us in those moments. But here's the thing I think we need to remember with that is that it's not God who needs those big flashy moments to prove to himself that he's amazing. It's actually us a lot of times, right? But usually we have an insecurity and we need God to show up in some exciting way for us to believe it's him, but that's not what God needs, right? God's happy. In fact, I think maybe he even prefers many times to show up in the ordinary. And so we need to start learning to look for him there first, okay? And if you don't believe me, maybe the, the best example of this is actually looking at Jesus himself, looking at Jesus himself as this message from God, okay? We're told in Hebrews 1 that God speaks to us most clearly in Jesus, Hebrews 1, 1 to 3, the writer says, In the past, God spoke to the prophets, to our ancestors, and many times, in many ways. In these final days, though, he spoke to us through a son. 
God made his son the heir of everything and created the world through him. The son is the light of God's glory and the imprint of God's being. Okay, so the, the, the point here that the author of Hebrews is trying to make is that Jesus is a form of speech or communication to us from God in his life lived and the message that he preaches embodied in a person, right? This is actually a, a form of communication to us from God himself, right? Now, think about the message of Jesus' life, okay? On the one hand, he's very clearly extraordinary, right, by human standards. He, he was a popular prophet and rabbi. There were a lot of people who gathered to see him. Um, and he obviously did what no one else in history has ever done. It's the whole reason we exist as a church is because he was raised from the dead. That's pretty extraordinary, okay? So obviously, um, this is a big deal, right? This is an extraordinary thing. And this is why we have to give Jesus our attention. This is why it matters so much. This is why the church is called Resurrection City Church, right? We have to give Jesus our attention because of these things. But once he has our attention, and we start to really think about what made up the substance of his life, we realize he spent a lot of his life in obscurity, in very ordinary in a lot of ways, right? Jesus was born in a feeding trough, in a backwater city with sheep herders as the primary witnesses. I don't even know if you can call that ordinary. That's less than ordinary, right? For most of his life, he worked a blue-collar job as a con- construction worker or carpenter of some kind. He was Jewish, and in the Roman world at large, Jews were mostly seen as this kind of, you know, small, weird, mostly annoying little territory in the eastern part of their empire, but really not much more important than that. Um, Jesus' parents were nothing special at all. Um, He wasn't part of the religious or political elite of of the day. He was a total outsider to these people. Um, He got tired. We read about Jesus taking naps. We read about Jesus taking breaks to go be alone. He was very much like us in that way. He got frustrated with his best friends, like on a regular basis. It was a very normal part of his life. And all the people that respond, a lot of the people at least, that responded to his claim that the kingdom of God was near, maybe they came to check in on him, but a lot of them didn't stay. They were like, okay, what's the cool new thing going on? This guy, Jesus, let's go check it out. Okay, let's go find the next cool thing to look at. They left him. He did not necessarily keep all the people who heard him in the first place uh, uh, um, engaged. And all of these religious elites, for the most part, said pass. We're not interested. In fact, we think you're kind of a nuisance that we need to get rid of. And he got executed by them in the same way that literally thousands of young Jewish men did in that time, right? We talk about, when we talk about crucifixion today, the cross, everyone, even if you're not a Christian, you almost always think of Jesus. The cross is kind of synonymous with Jesus. We think it might be a very special way to kill somebody that, you know, Jesus was, was killed in. But it was actually an incredibly common way for someone to die. Like, Jesus lived in a period of revolt where crucifixions of young men like him were a daily occurrence, It was not an important death in any way, really, in the ancient world. Jesus was, in so many ways, incredibly ordinary. I think we need to recognize that God is speaking to us through these parts of Jesus, too. Right? He will speak to us through the miracles that he did, through the incredible teaching that he had, through his resurrection, through him being God in person. Right? We will hear God's voice as we meditate and look at those parts of Jesus, but we are also going to hear God's voice as we meditate on the less extraordinary and amazing features of his life too. And so in a lot of ways, Jesus is actually the voice of God speaking to us in the ordinary silence. And maybe speaking to us apart from where we expect God to be speaking in windstorms or in uh, earthquakes, right? God is speaking to us through Jesus many times in the soft stillness, the quietness, like he spoke to Elijah in the same way. 
in a world that is constantly looking for God in earthquakes or windstorms or blasts of fire, right, we are going to miss where God is trying to speak something truly extraordinary and special to us if we ignore these parts of God speaking to us, right? We have to start there. And when we start to become okay with the ordinary, we start to find that that's where Jesus is waiting for us, where we know and abide with him in the ordinary parts of our day. We are going to find God speaking to us and meeting us, right? In our brokenness, we might be reminded that Jesus was broken too by grief, right? We read about lots of times where he cried or he experienced tragedy. Not everything went perfectly for him. And we can imitate him in our own moments of brokenness or grief too. When we, get too, when we feel too tired to get anything done, right? We might feel guilty for taking a nap or taking a break. We remember that God values rest. And we actually see that in Jesus' own life. We remember the story about he was so tired, he napped on a boat. He slept through a, a big storm, and everyone was freaking out, and Jesus is like, leave me alone, I need a nap <laughs> right now. It's a really cool story. Um, when we feel let down by our friends, again, this is a very ordinary thing for us to feel let down by the people close to us. We remember that Jesus' friends let him down all the time, that he didn't give up on them, right? And so many more stories of that. And what Jesus is telling us is that our ordinary is good, it can be redeemed, and it's worthy to God and will be used to make us more like Jesus. As Paul Argood puts it, oftentimes the special is embedded deep within the ordinary, but it takes a well-trained eye to notice it. And that's really what this series is all about. Giving ourselves a well-trained eye to see God's extraordinary and special life within our own lives that often seem very ordinary as we ambitiously seek quiet and don't despise those ordinary parts about us, Right? That's what we want to talk about in this series. So as we enter into a time of worship here, I want to encourage you to think about wherever you're at in your faith journey. If you've been following Jesus your whole life, if you are just kicking the tires on faith, consider that God wants to speak to you. And he might be wanting to do it through very ordinary things. Start to look for God in the ordinary parts of your life and ask, is, is God speaking to me through Jesus in ways I might not have expected him to? And I guarantee you, as you start to look, you'll start to notice ways in which God is speaking to you. I think actually one of those uh, very ordinary ways that God speaks to us is what we do on Sunday mornings, right? What we're doing on this Sunday morning is a normal, ordinary thing that we do every single week. We spend time in worship. We spend time hanging out with one another. We spend time uh, in God's word. We spend time taking communion up front here. These are very ordinary things that we do, but the thing is, is that in each one of those areas, if we come expecting to hear God's voice in them, we are oftentimes going to hear it, despite the fact that we do it every single week. And so as you come to take communion this morning, and we would love to have you join us in communion if you're just visiting us this Sunday morning, we just ask that you're a follower of Jesus. Ask yourself, is there some message to God speaking to me through this very ordinary thing that we do of taking uh, the, the, the bread and the cup in remembrance of Jesus' body and blood broken for us? Is there some ordinary way that, you know, through the worship that we're singing today, right? Songs we've sung many times before, maybe songs you're very familiar with. Is there some way in that ordinary routine that God is speaking to me. I want you to be starting to think about that. And that's really what this series we're going to be hopefully all doing together is trying to figure out how can we start to become better at that so that in our ordinary lives, we can see God speaking to us. Let's enter into that time now and I'm going to pray for us as we do. Lord, we thank you that um, you bless us where we actually are. You do not require us to 
become extraordinary in some way uh, or to experience extraordinariness in order for you to come to us. But actually, you meet us in the midst of the lives that we actually live, as ordinary, as routine, as sometimes boring as they are, God. I pray that as we live those lives today and every day, that you would help us to see the good in those and also start to come to see the places that you might be trying to speak to us in them, God. And as we move forward in this series and we try to talk about those things more, I pray that you would um, be with us as we do, God. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.